Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, we have 3 2 and Go with Cosmo Macero, an interview with attorney Ethan Jeffrey of Murphy & King on bankruptcy, and in two minutes with Tom, we're talking about news out of Washington, D.C. this week on infrastructure spending and funding. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA on Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families is under fire for problems with the state's foster care system. The Boston Globe is paying close attention and has dedicated a series of stories to the subject. We'll discuss with our own in-house expert on DCF operations. And it's Kentucky Derby time, the first and grandest installment in horse racing's Triple Crown. Last year saw the second Triple Crown winner justify in just three years' time. Could it happen again? We'll try to handicap the situation. Finally, Burger King is facing an impossible situation with its impossible Whopper. They can't make them fast enough. That's right, it took the inventor of chicken fries to make vegan burgers taste good. We'll break it down. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Kyan, you're big on, on the on the Impossible Burger, right? Yes, or, I, I just, just heard about it. Just learned about it like ago. 30 seconds ago. Yes. All right, we'll get to that. All right, Kyan, the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families, commonly known as DCF, under fire for the state's foster care system, or at least in the spotlight. Big big series of Globe stories by Kay Lazar. You've got a lot of familiarity with DCS, DCF from your past life. Uh, and just, just a general awareness, let's talk about it. Yes, formerly DSS, so that's why you probably did that. The Department of yeah. Social Services, yes, correct. DSS, and then it became DCF. Uh, yes, I worked for the Department of Children and Families for four plus years uh, prior to coming here to O'Neill and Associates. Uh, while I'm certainly not, as you said, an expert, but I appreciate the uh, the kudos. Um, one thing I will say about the work there is it is yeoman's work. It is absolutely incredible what happens at that agency every day. It's always been really hard for me from the inside and the outside to see the agency come under such scrutiny, um, mainly because you've got so many people working so hard. Kay Lazar has really done, you know, a a great job uh, looking, sort of peering under the hood a little bit and looking at the foster care system yeah. specifically um, and problems that need to be addressed. I sometimes feel that, that, that people think that DCF either is or ought to be some kind of 24-hour lens or watchdog into every single home mm -hmm. where children are, be, are, are, are getting services, whether it's foster care or something else. And obviously, that's not the case. It's just not possible, nor should it be. Um, but but they're held accountable like that, and it's not always fair. I think it's not always fair. That being said, they are the agency charged with protecting children. So if the buck's going to stop somewhere, perhaps it's going to stop perhaps, there. Perhaps the single weightiest, most important responsibility of state government. It is. It's huge. Right. Um, and, you know, I had a... a a commissioner at one time who used to say, and I always thought that it was incredibly poignant, was 
the fact that the Department of Children and Families exists in and of itself makes it an imperfect system. Sure. Um, and I think that, you know, we've got to remember that. The foster care system, uh, she's, Kalazar's stories have really exposed some um, problems that certainly need to be addressed, lack of, you know, just good database, good information sharing, communications, things that one would think would be easily fixable or solvable. Uh, but you got to remember that these people are trying to solve a lot of problems on a daily basis. Um, foster numbers, foster care numbers have gone up in recent years. A lot of meaning that. children in the system or children families hosting or, or both? Or? Uh, the number of children in foster care has increased uh, in the last few years. And that comes from a number of reasons. One, the ongoing opiate I was just about epidemic. to say, I guarantee the opioid crisis is a number it one. It is the big one. Yeah. Uh, it also tends to happen when there's a lot of scrutiny on the agency, which is uh, what happened about five or six years ago. Um, and the focus nationwide, policy, good policy says children are better off at home um, whenever it's possible with sure. the right supports in place. Um, and the problem, you know, I guess call to action a little bit is if you if you want to help, find out how you can be a foster parent. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing is, work. Is there so with all of these stories and focus, is there sort of a path forward to, to, toward better service and improvement based on what we've learned? Or? I think there is. Uh, you know, the the governor has um, made a lot of commitments to making improvements to this agency. Uh, and I think he, this administration and this legislature in recent years has given the agency funding it really needed that they weren't giving it before. That's a great first step, hiring more social workers to do the work, bringing down caseloads. That's a great step. They're still not where uh, the union, I think a lot of employees would like to see them. But a huge problem will always be a need for good foster homes. All right, Kyan, great insights. Thanks so much. All right, Cayenne, let's talk burgers, or at least vegan burgers. Burger King introduced, in certain markets, maybe this is why your level of awareness is not where it should be, in certain markets, That's certain markets... an asterisk the, next to the word should. <laughs> the Impossible Whopper. It's the uh, it's uh, the vegan version of the Whopper, apparently, and I haven't had it, and I, I now feel like I have to someday try this thing. Uh, it, it tastes so remarkably good and, and enough like beef that... In the markets where they are, only 59 locations in St. Louis, Missouri, that's the testing phase, they can't keep these things in stock or, or they can't make enough of them. And Restaurant Brands International, I think it's a consulting firm, says that um, <clears throat> it's a great problem to have, but if you can't scale up a new product, then how can you take it nationwide? So they need to address this. I don't know if that is a supply chain thing. I don't know what goes into this thing. I'm pretty sure I don't know want want to know what As goes into that, it. That's the even question. though it's vegan, plant based. Plant based is a big category. I think it's, it's a, a big it's category. a big category. It could be anything. And quite honestly, there. there are some plant based things I don't think I want to eat. Definitely, lots, many. Yeah. But I bet apparently these things are yummy. What do you think? You gonna try one? Um, I mean, I'm not chomping at the bit. Pardon the pun to go find one, but I think if somebody else I was with had one, I'd want to try a bite. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like I, something you need to do. It. I feel like my you husband need, you, would try one. You need the he would definitely do it. He would go to Burger King and he'd try one, and I'd be like, "Let me have a bite of yours." You need the buddy system for the Impossible Burger. Just you, you got to pair up and just make sure it's like, okay, here it is. Yeah, and then if not, you just 
get a regular burger and eat your french fries and enjoy your day. There you go. All right. Impossible burger. It can't make enough of them. It it took it took the maker of chicken fries to make a vegan burger awesome. There you go. Thanks, Cayenne. All right, so up next, we're joined by Chip Tuttle, Chief Operating Officer of Suffolk Downs, talking about the Kentucky Derby. It's Kentucky Derby weekend. Hey, Chip, thanks for joining us here on OA on Air. Hey, Cosmo, uh, Cayenne, very nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. Terrific. So let's talk about the Derby. And so it's the Kentucky Derby, the first and grandest of the three triple crown races, the Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont Stakes. And... We had gone, what, 37 years since, was it Affirmed, I think? I mean, and before that, yeah. Seattle Slough. 2015, yeah. um, we've had two trips. American Pharaoh. American yeah. Pharaoh, uh, and then Justify last year, right? Right. So two Triple Crown winners in a matter of three, four years, and, and then prior to that, a 37-year drought. Any rhyme or reason to that, Chip? Any, any sort of thinking behind or, or, or any way to make sense of why that long drought, why it was such an elusive uh, achievement for horse, trainer, jockey, owner, and, 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 and now, bang, two in a matter of a couple of years? Well, the, the short answer is because it's hard as hell to do it. Yep. Um, and that's why, you know, there's sort of this great, uh, era in the seventies where you hadn't had uh, a triple crown winner in, in years and years. And then secretariat and Seattle slew. And then that great rivalry affirmed in Aladar where affirmed, uh, won all three races and then a 37 year drought to American Pharaoh. And, and part of that is just, it's really, really difficult. You know, these are three year old horses. They're the equivalent of college athletes. I think, Sometimes the, the general public doesn't realize that uh, three-year-olds are, are still developing. And, and you know, uh, there's a lot more races and, and for older horses, four and five and six. But you only have one chance at the Kentucky Derby when you're three. Um, and it's the first time that uh, those horses are ever asked to, to run a mile and a quarter. Uh, yeah. A lot of them race shorter distances. And it's for many of them, it's the only time they've ever ever asked to race a mile and a quarter and they do it in front of 150,000 people uh the setting can be unnerving uh to some of them and then then if they win the kentucky derby they wheel right back two weeks later and and have to run uh, a different track that the preakness in baltimore at pimlico and if they're fortunate enough to win that three weeks later at the belmont stakes and some people have a misconception that you know you you have to run in every race uh but you don't. And so, you know, you might, there's a field of 20 in the Derby and you might beat those 19 horses and come back two weeks later in the Preakness and there's six or seven new horses. And then three weeks later in the Belmont, you know, there's a whole bunch of fresh new horses in that race too. So it's, it's a substantial achievement and that's why it's so rare and so celebrated. You know, one thing that is um, a a, a hallmark of the, uh, of the Derby and the Derby broadcasts is is, is the presence of Bob Baffert, the, the trainer. Is, is, is he the 
Is he the Tiger Woods, the Michael Jordan of uh, of horse racing, if there is such a comparison? Because you can't make the comparison with the actual athlete, the horse, necessarily. I mean, I guess you could. But really, is, is Bob Baffert, that, that's, that's the big star of horse racing is him, right? Yeah, you know, for our hometown, Cosmo, more, maybe more akin to Red Arback, right? You yeah. know, I mean, he's the conditioner. He's the guy. Um, we look at trainers in horse racing sort of like college basketball coaches, you know, so maybe Baffert's more like Krzyzewski. Sure. Where, you know, every year he just reloads and has this, this amazing amount of talent. He's got three starters in the Kentucky Derby, and they're likely to be the three favorites uh, right now with the scratch of Omaha Beach this week that who would have been the, the favorite, the winner of the Arkansas Derby, who's just a beautiful horse and, and had been doing nothing wrong uh, in his three-year-old season. Omaha Beach had a, a – they worked him out this week at Churchill Downs, and he coughed a little bit. They discovered he had a throat condition. And so they're, uh, in, you know, in an abundance of caution, they've, they've taken him out of the race. But that leaves Bob Baffert, the silver-haired trainer who won – the Triple Crown with American Pharaoh in 2015 and with Justify last year. He's got Amazing. game winner and roadster and improbable. And, and you know, favorites win uh, about 30% of the time. And, you know, he's got the first choice, the second choice, and the third choice. You know, his chances of winning this derby are pretty good. So you're going to have to be wary if you're going to bet against Bob Baffert. Wow. I had no idea quite so much went into it or that they were three maybe maybe that's me just being really naive yeah. and ignorant i'm not very well tuned into no, the no. horse racing circuit but i didn't realize these horses were only three years old and like so much yeah. goes into it now i feel bad yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're talking to chip Tuttle, well, chief operating officer of suffolk downs chip you can enjoy the derby this weekend at suffolk downs and you can enjoy racing at least for the rest of the season. For a few more weeks. For a few more weeks uh, at a couple of dates you've got planned. Why don't you tell us about what's coming up at Suffolk Downs starting with this weekend? Sure. Well, we're we're open for simulcasting year-round, um, and uh, we have a very limited racing schedule these days. Uh, and this is, this is very, very likely the last season of racing at Suffolk Downs. Um, we don't own the property anymore in, in May of 2017. Uh, Sterling Suffolk Racecourse, the company that I work for, sold the Suffolk Downs property to a, a developer, HYM Development. And uh, we've been a tenant and leasing the track since then. Um, we have uh, the Derby simulcast on Saturday. In fact, on uh, tomorrow on Friday, you come over and see the Kentucky Oaks, which is the three-year-old Phillies race, the, the uh, female horse equivalent of the Kentucky Derby. Yep. Um, Saturday, you know, we open the gates around 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning Saturday. It's a long day. Uh, they have a full car to Churchill Downs starting around 10.30 a.m. The derby itself doesn't go off till about 6.30, 6.45. So uh, a lot of people come over to Suffolk Downs on derby day and watch a couple races, uh, bet the derby, and then turn around and go home and watch it on NBC. Um, and then our first, we have three weekends of live racing at Suffolk Downs this summer. Uh, the first weekend is May 18th and 19th. May 18th coincides with the Preakness. And then June 8th and 9th. June 8th coincides with the Belmont Stakes, the third leg of the Triple Crown. So that'll be simulcast at Suffolk Downs during that live racing weekend. And then our final weekend of racing um, is June 29th and June 30th. And so 
uh, we're looking forward to it. It's sort of a send-off and uh, trying to make it a celebration and not terribly funereal. Yeah. Um, and we're, uh, we're working on a plan to try to uh, keep racing going in Massachusetts by refurbishing the, the fairgrounds out in the western part of the state at Great Barrington. In fact, um, on Monday, I'll be out at Great Barrington with some engineers and construction consultants looking at that facility and, and forwarding our plan to try to get racing going out there. So uh, we're exciting. hopeful we can continue thoroughbred racing in the Commonwealth beyond this year, but this year will be it for Suffolk Downs. All right, well, amen to that and keeping thoroughbred racing going. Uh, What a tremendous history at Suffolk Downs. That's a whole other show. We could talk about all the the horses uh, that have have emerged, champions, Cigar and others through Suffolk Downs and such. But, um, hey, look, Chip, thanks so much. Enjoy the weekend, and thanks for joining us. Sure, no, I appreciate it. And, guys, one last note. There's a local connection, uh, the horse Vacoma, V-E-K-O-M-A in the Kentucky Derby is owned by uh, a New Hampshire family, the Gatsas, G-A-T-S-A-S, the Gatsas family in New Hampshire. They raced at Suffolk Downs for years and years. So uh, I'm not sure of his chances, but uh, it's always nice to see a New England horse in the Kentucky Derby, so we'll be pulling for him a little bit. Terrific. Hometown hero. All right. Thanks a lot, Chip. Yeah. Take care, guys. All right, We'll bye. see you. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of 321GO. Our program is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's all for 321GO. Up next, an interview with Ethan Jeffrey from Murphy & King. I'm Ann Murphy, Senior Vice President at O'Neill & Associates, and welcome to OA On Air. My guest today is Ethan Jeffrey, shareholder at Murphy & King, and he specializes in bankruptcy and financial restructuring. Welcome, Ethan. Uh, Thanks for having me. Well, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about what you do and then the state of the economy related to bankruptcy and financial financial restructuring. Uh, What factors lead a business to even seek help to restructure their finances? Well, it could be any number of things. Uh, You know, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, I have a couple of uh, businesses right now that are not in bankruptcy, and and our goal is always to keep people out of bankruptcy and do the restructuring end of things. But one of them is in the healthcare space, and, and about two years ago, there was a change in the way that Medicare uh, compensated. patients for a certain type of testing that this company does. And it's been a couple of years where they've been struggling because all of a sudden, you know, what they used to be able to charge, they can no longer charge. And so, uh, you know, their revenue has gone down, but their expenses have stayed the same. That's that's one example. Another example is uh, a a company that uh, had a lawsuit go against them. And now they have a big judgment that they don't have the cash to pay. And all of a sudden now they have uh, you know a creditor who is chasing them and trying to take all their money. You know those are two examples, and and every industry is different. You know I mean if you look at uh, for instance, right now you know the the government's put tariffs on steel, right, yes. and that kind of filters down to a whole bunch of industries, and you know the the kind of the middle market and small size businesses, you know they can't absorb those changes in costs and and things of that nature. 
um, as, as readily as the big companies do. And that's usually what happens. It's, most times it's an outside, outside uh, force. It's an outside force, right. And it's, and it's either unforeseen or, you know, it, it, it happens. It's the way life goes. I know a lot of, a lot of businesses, they just are working at the margins sometimes and yep. their profits are uh, slim. And if something goes awry, there you go, right? So I know you said that the goal is to keep people keep businesses out of bankruptcy, but how do you actually avoid going bankrupt? It's such a negative term that way, but I think that there are warning signs or things that you can do to help you. Sure, and and you know the avoiding bankruptcy is is not terribly complex if you can accomplish it, and it really comes down to being able to isolate the problem and have a business solution. Uh, to the problem because the in my in my business in my industry um, the legal can't help solve the business problem if you don't have a business solution then you know I can't the legal part of it isn't going to help you it's just going to be able to stave off creditors but you you take that business solution and you go out and you have a, a discussion with um, you know the whatever creditors are creating an issue sometimes it's the bank you know interest rates go up and all of a sudden you get charged more you know from your bank or it's a creditor, as, as we said earlier, you know, who has a judgment, and you go and talk to them and, and just have a discussion and uh, go to them with the problem, which is, hey, we can't pay you, mm-hmm. and a solution, and but here's what we're going to do. Um, and then you kind of package that into an out-of-court restructuring that's all documented from a legal perspective, but um, that's the way you stay out of bankruptcy. Um, and, and a lot of times it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. You, you sort of have to get all these people talking to each other yes, sometimes. That's right. And, that's and, right. And, and, and coming to some kind of agreements. That's right. Courts. So Chapter 11 is actually something that uh, protects businesses, the law itself. How does that work, Chapter 11? So, so what you do uh, is you take that business solution that you've just come up with and you uh, basically uh, put the company into, into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And what that does is it... It stops all collection actions. It basically freezes the creditor-debtor relationship um, when you file, and then you you come up with a restructuring plan in bankruptcy that's based on that business solution, basically. And and uh, I'm simplifying a lot because there's a whole lot more moving pieces and a whole lot more things that you have to do in Chapter 11 to get out. But that's basically the concept: is that you get a breathing space, you restructure the company. Um, the bankruptcy code has, you know, has, gives the bankruptcy court the ability to modify debts and liens and things of that nature. So you can basically strip down debts, discharge debts, um, you know, and and restructure the balance sheet and come out with a healthy company. That's the that's, that's the goal. Good, that's a good outcome, correct? Uh, we all often think that wow, the economy's humming along and. Uh, nothing can be wrong with businesses, but are there still Chapter Eleven filings and bankruptcies during a high economy? Sure, absolutely. And and you know uh, the the two examples I just gave you are examples that are not tied to the economy. You know, one was a was a, a judgment that that went or a lawsuit that went badly and ended in a judgment. The other was just a change in the way that the Medicare regulations work. And those are not economic factors. Most times it's economic factors, you know, interest rates, um, the cost of goods. And then when you have a recession, obviously, as a general matter, when the economy is depressed, it has a ripple down effect all the way through. And some companies just can't make it at that point. Um, but even even in good economies, there's there's always an industry that has, is having a, a difficulty. Retail is one in the last right. couple of years, That's notwithstanding right. how strong the economy's been. There's been a lot of retail bankruptcies 
because of the, again the outside pressures from internet shopping and things that uh, you know that didn't exist 15 or 20 years ago when a lot of these when a lot of the retail companies were building big stores getting into malls, malls and all yeah. that stuff you know I mean that you know those are things that are that are not tied to the economic the overall economy Very interesting so I guess there's no good time uh, to restructure a company's finances, but is there a best time for a company that sees that they're in a problem? Yeah, and the, the best the best time is earlier rather than later. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I liken it to if you if you get injured, right, and you don't go to the doctor, the injury gets worse and worse and worse, and then you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, you know, if you'd come to me, you know, two months ago, I could have done this or I could have done that, but now, you know, there's there's only one option. It's the same thing with, with the restructuring. Um, you know, the earlier you can get to somebody to talk about uh, restructuring something that you see is going to be a significant problem, like a material problem, not a, not a you know, rank and file problem but a big problem the better you are because uh, you know the more that you uh, the more assets that you have the more flexibility you have the more options you'll have particularly in getting an out-of-court restructuring done um, you know in my again in my industry we have a saying that's cash is king that's right. um, you know if you if you if a company's got a financial problem um, and they're struggling and they're, you know, scrimping and saving and, and, you know, cutting costs here and cutting costs there, but spending down their cash and spending down their cash and just holding on by their fingernails. And then they come see me. Well, all the cash is gone. You know, all the, 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 a lot of the value in the assets has, has been, uh, you know, depreciated and, and you don't have, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the dry powder, if you will, to work a, a business solution to the, you know, out mm -hmm. because you've, you've already spent it so earlier that, rather than later right, because the clock is still ticking and you still have obligations yep. taxes and all kinds yep. of things that yep. that doesn't go away yep. those things are uh, those still have to be uh, satisfied especially for the government yes and all that. yeah well, so I would say if there's one thing that uh, the biggest warning sign is if you are ever in a position where you don't think you're going to be able to make payroll you've waited too long <laughs> that's a good one. Um, Payroll is, uh, is first and foremost, and I, the only reason I say this is because in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and actually every other state in the, in the United States, it's a crime not to pay wages. And wages uh, include things other than just you know, what you would think of as wages, the payroll. For instance, vacation pay is, is considered a wage in Massachusetts. So if you have people who have a couple of weeks of accrued payroll, well, guess what? If you don't pay that, it's not only are the principals of the company personally liable for it, they may be criminally prosecuted for not paying it. So that's if, if you're sitting and saying, okay, I don't know how I'm going to make payroll, you've got a problem that, is, that is, uh, has to be addressed immediately, um, and you need to, to seek help. Well, I think that you do have a lot of the answers and you're really good experience in this. So if, if someone's out there listening and they wanted to get in touch with you, how do, how do they get in touch with you? So uh, the phone number, 617-423-0400. Um, MurphyKing.com is the website. Uh, we're also on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Um, so there's any number of ways you can, you can find us. Uh, and usually most people uh, find us through the website these days or through uh, you know, the Internet, social media. Great information for everybody to listen to. Well, thank you so much, Ethan Jeffrey. Thank you, Ann.
And now, two minutes with Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi, Cayenne. Away on air. Two minutes with Tom. There it is. Four and a half minutes with Tom. (laughs) (laughs) We can't change the segment name. It's not as pithy. Okay. All right. Um, It's good to be with you. Thanks for joining me. Yep. we haven't talked about Washington, D.C. in a while. A lot going on. And there's a lot. I mean, there's always a lot going on. A lot going but on. But there's a lot going on. Now, in a point of compromise and agreement, we did have some agreement on infrastructure funding this week. $2 trillion. It's a lot um, of money. I think, I think, <laughs> I think the, uh, the uh, minority leader in the Senate, Schumer, uh, came out and he categorized the meeting at the White House with the president that he and Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership had with Donald Trump as uh, a meeting of goodwill. And that was his word, which means it was probably something they could all come to and agree on, that, that, that there are needs in the United States that, me, that need immediate addressing. And that's the infrastructure, whether it's a road or a bridge mm-hmm. or a railroad um, or an airport. You know, those things need to be paid attention to just for the, for the public safety and the uh, the integrity of our economy, as uh, you know, as things are, are being talked about. So the number was right. It's a two trillion dollar budget. So the looming question is: Well, now that we can agree on what needs to be done, how do we pay for what gets done? And um, I think everything is probably on the table. Whether the Republicans and this president will will allow it, a gas tax to be raised or tolls to be in, you know in, embedded, who knows? Um, but we, everybody knows that the work needs to be done. Cayenne, there are, there are six feet of bridges into the city of Boston. If you think about it, five of them are, are in disrepair. Five of them are in disrepair. So if you, continue, if you continue to just defer maintenance on these things, you know, what you're really doing is stopping the ebb and flow of the people to shop, to get to work, you know, to go to church, go to the hospital, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know that really that really puts a roadblock up for for the economy and for the people's vitality of living. What does it say to in this climate of in Washington D.C. that they they were able even able uh, even able to come together and have a meeting of goodwill and agree on anything? I mean, infrastructure seems pretty straightforward. It would make sense to me that this is something that they could, but they have been so opposed to one another for so many different reasons, both sides of the party, that I think that there's, you know, what does that mean? It means, it means everything is good. When pe- two parties that typically and, and, and traditionally don't agree with one another can get together on an issue and, in fact, agree, that's, that's pretty important. And that's what the role really is of people, you know, putting the differences aside, coming to the table and negotiating for those things that will keep America Good and it and keep progress. It's how it's supposed to be in democracy, huh? How it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that way. That's right. Well, we will see how we're going to pay for two trillion dollars in infrastructure improvements throughout the country. Let's see if we can't get agreement on that. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Diane. Bye, bye. That's all for this week's episode of OA on Air. Thanks again for tuning in. Now that you've listened, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or whatever your favorite listening platform may be. Talk to you next week.